Hi, my name is Darren Campbell. I am the president and CEO of Namibia Critical Metals. Uh, we are a Canadian uh, TSXV listed company, and we are developing a tier one heavy earth project in Namibia. Uh, our Loftal project is a globally significant deposit of the heavy earths, dysprosium, and terbium. Darren, good to see you, and thanks for coming on the show. First time we've um, had you on the show. Um, and Namibia, a country dear to my heart as well. Um, so we're going to talk about talk about a lot of things today. Where what I'd like to kind of focus on is perhaps get a kind of broad um, understanding of, of what you're doing. So let's start with first things. What is a heavy rare earth? What's it used for? So the the main um, metals, rare earth metals in our in our deposit uh, are dysprosium and terbium, which are two critical metals used in the production of permanent magnets used for EV motors, <clears throat> wind turbines, um, um, uh, missile defense systems, such as that. Right. Okay. So I think it's kind of good to work out what we're talking about. And we, better, we also better talk about where you are. So Namibia, as a mining jurisdiction, perhaps not known by North American audience or, or, or elsewhere. Um, what can you tell us? Namibia is a fantastic jurisdiction to work in. Uh, we've been working there um, for about a decade. Uh, we've established a, an excellent relationship with all levels of government. It is very politically stable, uh, excellent infrastructure, uh, a very well-established set of regulatory um, framework to, to work within, um, the very supportive um, mining um, jurisdiction, and, and very mining-friendly. Um, there's a long, rich history of diversified mining in Namibia. Um, it is one of the largest exporters of uranium in the world, um, as well as they have a very large established um, gold projects, uh, producing gold mines, copper mines, and soon to be rarits. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you say that, right? You say it's, it's mining friendly, and, I, and I've been in country, and I've, I've been at several mine, mine sites, etc. And I, you know, met, met some of the ministers, and you know, I think what you say is true. But back in June, the Namibia um, declared that it's going to ban exports of um, unprocessed critical minerals. What's that do for businesses like yours? Well, in our case, uh, it has it will have no impact. Uh, under no scenario do we envisage ever uh, exporting unprocessed rare earth uh, oxides or ores. Um, we believe, and our understanding is that this was a reaction and maybe a bit of an overreaction um, by the government um, to a, a situation where there was a, a foreign company that was exporting large amounts of unprocessed pegmatite ore. Um, under the guise of um, uh, testing purposes, so um, again, in our in our situation, no impact. No impact. Okay, right, good. I'm I'm, I'm sort of ticking ticking off a few things, which I think one um, in terms of terminology and and and, and variables. But before we kind of get into the loft dial um, proper, which is, and you brought up one of those. You've been at this a long time under under different names. With, the, with this asset. Can you give me the sort of potted history of how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, so we, we've been working on this project since about 2010. So the, the predecessor company uh, was called Etruscan Resources. Etruscan brought three greenfield gold projects in West Africa through um, discovery and, and into production and sale to Endeavor Mining back in 2012. Uh, and um, the Loftal Heavy Earth Project was spun out from that sale to Endeavor. Um, and a very valid criticism against the project back then was that it was just too small. Uh, in 2012, we put out a maiden resource, uh, and then 2014, a PEA. And at that time, the resource was only about a 6 million ton resource of uh, total rare earth oxide. 
and about a six-year mine life. We have completely dispelled those criticisms uh, with developments over the last three years with our partnership with Jogman. Uh, we did a major drill program in 2020 where we made a massive increase to the size of this resource, bringing it from 6 million tons to 53 million tons and clearly establishing it as one of the largest deposits of dysprosium and terbium anywhere in the world outside of China. Right. Okay. And and you mentioned one of your, well, it's, it's effectively how you're funding this going for JOGMAC, which is a Japanese organization for, for methyl and energy security, along with the Japanese government. Um, they have come in, you've got, you've done a deal with, give us the outline terms of the deal that you've got with them, please. Yeah. So in 2020, we secured a fantastic transformational um, deal with Jogmec, uh, a government agency of Japan. Um, Jogmec is, is spending $20 million Canadian over three terms to earn up to a 50% interest in the project. The first term was a $3 million non-refundable commitment, which they achieved. Uh, term two was for them to spend an additional se uh, $7 million to earn 40%. So $10 million in total during the first 40%, which they just uh, completed earlier this year. We are now in the, in, uh, the beginning or midway through the uh, final term, term three, where they have to spend another $10 million to get another 10%. So $20 million total, we're at about $12 million to date. And we, with those funds, we've, as I said, we've, we've been able to dramatically increase the size of the resource. We've put a lot of money into um, processing uh, and metallurgy to really um, simplify our processing and flow sheet. Uh, so we are now in the midst of a PFS, which we expect to deliver um, by Q3 of next year. Uh, and that is all fully funded on, under the JOGMEC terms and agreement. Right. Uh, for, if, further if to I the may, agreement. Can, yeah, please give me that uh, detail. So further to the agreement, um, in addition to the 50%, they can also purchase another 1% with a $5 million cash payment. And at that time, Namibia Critical Metals has the optionality to either elect to be diluted down to a carried working interest of no less than 26% by repaying back the $5 million uh, payment, or we can elect to participate um, at uh, 49%, which is a fantastic transaction for our shareholders and secures, and we've secured one of the premier uh, partners for a a rare earth project, which is essentially the Japanese government. Uh, for, for, for sure, for sure. But let, let's be say, I just want to, I don't want to leave that side, totally understand it. So at, at the point they come up with this kind of um, option of for 1% at, at 5 million Canadian, we're, we're talking like Canadian, right? Yes. Um, so they are 51%, you'll have 49%. You've got two two parts there. One, you, you obviously have to fund your portion of that going forward, or you opt out um, by repaying five million back to them, and you get carried. So you retain twenty six percent, and you get carried to what what point? Through to, through to commercial production, commercial production, and beyond. Yes. Okay, that's yep. interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, in, included in our twenty six percent is a five percent um, amount that is held by historically disadvantaged Namibians. Um, so that's mandated as a result of a mining license that we were issued in 2021. So there may be a credit shareholders would be 21%. Uh, the 5% would be going to the Namibian group. Okay. And then um, the balance to, to in Japan. 
John. Okay, so 20, 21% net. Okay, um, you, do you, have you got a preference? I mean, in today's market, you can, I, I can I know what I'd go for, but are you going to, when do you have to make that decision? Uh, not until the end of term three, uh, when uh, they complete their $20 million earning and when they make the election to purchase 1% or not. So we still have, you know, some time before that decision point uh, comes to. And it'll be purely a, a, a economic decision for us, depending on the economics of the project. My feeling is right now that we would be right based on where we see um, the project going and, and rare earth prices going in the future. Oh, so what does that mean? You, you, you feel that this the scale will be there for this project? I mean, what 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 what, ha- what has jogged back been um, digging up and finding and, and, and you know, what, what do we now know that leads you to believe that you want you would want to participate? Well, we, we did um, compile all of our new drilling in 2020, as well as all of our uh, flotation and processing work in 2021 into a revised and updated preliminary economic assessment that was published in November of 2022. Uh, and it, it uh, returned a very robust economic analysis. Um, we're This project at that time uh, it was about a, just under a 400 million US uh, net present value with an internal rate of return of about 28%. Um, so, um, and we believe that the scale of this project can go potentially even much bigger. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and can you give us a sense of um, timelines of when this third term uh, option finishes? So the, the, the terms of the agreement were quite lengthy in term in, in terms of them spending the entire money. Um, so they still have another three years to go, but we believe that that will be dramatically condensed. Um, one of the, the one of the reasons the timeline was stretched out so far was to accommodate uh, the internal budgetary restrictions uh, placed on a per project uh, funding for Jogmec in their exploration department of around two million a year in Italy. Um but the 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 visit the um, the vision is that at some point Jogmec will bring in a Japanese industrial partner or partners uh, to take over a portion of their interest in the project. Once that happens, that moves the funding out of the exploration department and into more of a development fund, which opens up literally hundreds of millions of dollars of potential funding from from Japan. So we we believe that once that is attain, then we will be able to really accelerate uh, the development of the project through the production. Yeah, fairly standard stuff there. Um, can we, you, you also said that you know, based, on, you know, based on what you know, you are likely to participate. And one of the reasons was where you believe rare earth prices are going. Now, clearly, critical mineralists around the world being formed um, at, you know, and, and I guess better understood by the market as, as well. It has been a fairly er- er- erratic set of metals, and, and in terms of pricing and, and so forth. So, trying to try to forecast out is, is done how? What gives you that confidence? Well, we we follow the the pricing uh, quite closely, um, and uh, all of the professional prognosticators within the industry uh, are still very bullish as well, despite the significant downturn we've seen in prices over the last eighteen months. Uh, we're starting to see them creep back up now and start to get back onto the trajectory of, of uh, uh, compounded annual growth that's been forecasted for a number of years. You know, fundamentally, there's just a you know a, a large train that's coming down the track in terms of the supply demand gap for rare earths, and in particular for heavy rare earths. You know, one of the competitive advantages that we feel that we have with our lawful deposit is that we are primarily a heavy rare earth dysprosium turbium deposit. So 
even though there's lots of large rare projects under development and coming on stream, they're primarily light births. They are NDPR projects, neodymium, chrysodymium. You look at a project like NP Materials uh, or Linus. Uh, these are huge projects producing 20, 25,000 tons of trio production a year. But because of their mineralogy, they can only produce a very small amount of dysprosium and an inconsequential amount of turbium. You know, uh, maybe only 50, 75 tons of, of dysprosium a year for those projects. Contrast that with Loftal, where we look at a project that would be a tenth of the size, only producing two or 3,000 tons of trio. But we could produce, you know, 250 to 300 tons of dysprosium per year and, you know, up to 30 tons of turbium. So significant competitive advantage on a much smaller operation. So just in terms of the, the assets as Loftal it, it, it itself, I mean, it just, it just give me some numbers that so people get a sort of context of how much work has happened. So, so like in terms of meters or dollars spent to date, what, what are we looking at? Yeah, so we've drilled about 50, over 50,000 meters of drilling on this project. Uh, we've invested uh, historically before JOGMEC about $30 million Canadian to get it to this stage. And JOGMEC has got about $12 million into it now. Uh, and they will have $20 million within the next two years. So we'll have about $50 million invested. This project is very well advanced uh, compared to most projects. You know, it takes a long time to bring uh, any mining project on stream particularly a rare earth project, which can be very complex in process. We've been working with uh, over a dozen of the top uh, processing consultants all over the world for a decade, and we've really nailed down um, the processing of this, of this project, and we expect to improve upon our economics that was published in our PEA in terms of processing costs moving forward. Well, let's see. Look, the rare earth, very, very technical. Like, like I guess, like, like uranium, like, like, like lithium. Rare earth, very technical uh, set of muscles. I mean, I know, I know one of your team. Um, there, Rainer. I was I had the pleasure of meeting him last year um, while visiting a, a couple of projects in in Namibia. Um, he's obviously on board. Who, who else is on board? Is actually kind of getting getting involved with sort of advancing this project or advancing your understanding of this project. Because obviously, JobMax seems to be doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Is there much work? Is there much GNA uh, required from you, you and your team? No. So the so we act. We are operator of all the programs uh, that are uh, that are being uh, funded by JobMax until they get to fifty one percent equity stake. So we manage all of the projects um, and programs. We have we work very closely with JobMax. Uh, we have a joint venture management committee that meets very regularly establishes and works out our budgets and work programs on a quarterly basis. Um, and as I mentioned, we work with all of the tech top technical advisors uh, and, and consultants throughout the world. Our lead uh, processing consultant is SGS Canada, who we work with very closely over the last three years. Uh, and then uh, on, the t on the team itself, we have uh, an internal team. We have a fantastic metallurgical advisor based out of South Africa, uh, Barbara Mulcahy, uh, who helps uh, work, who works very closely with Reiner, who's a geologist, not a, not a metallurgist, um, in managing those technical uh, advisors uh, in Canada and in South Africa as well. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so, okay. So you're, you're operating, it's their money, but you're operating at the point, let's say they get to this 51% um, uh, holding. Um, what what are, what would their expectation need to be? Because you, you said right in the past, you know, it's fair criticism. It was quite small. You've been through 
um, with Chalkback and, and, and yourselves, you know, building that scale, build, starting to build the scale out. What would a jog Mac need to see in terms of size of opportunity in front of them to kind of stay involved? And 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 and, and so while we're at it, two part question is: if it doesn't hit their criteria, what happens to their shareholding? I mean, what, is there some kind of clawback mechanism in the agreement as well? Yeah. So I, I believe the scale of the of the project that we've already established now is more than. Uh, uh, sufficient to tick all of the boxes for jug. You know, with us being able to provide 120 tons per annum of dysprosium to Japan and 20 tons of terbium, um, that's what they, that that's only half of their forecasted requirement, or less than half of their forecasted requirement. So, uh, if we can grow it bigger, they'll take everything we can produce. Uh, it really comes down to economics uh, and how economic the project, uh, will be at the end of the day, because it is very expensive. It is low grade deposit uh, that is expensive to process. So we do need, um, sufficiently higher prices than we are currently today to be in an economic, uh, position. Um, right. Yeah. And, and is that coming? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We believe so. Uh, I think we're, we're getting very close. As I mentioned, like we've the last 18 months, we've seen a significant downturn in, in rare earth prices, but now particularly in dysprosium and turbine, we're starting to see that upward trend. There's been a, a recent development in Myanmar, which is one of the largest um, suppliers of, of the heavy rarities to, to China, where there's been an interruption in that supply, um, which is having an impact on price. And as I mentioned, the, the forecasted uh, supply demand gap is only going to widen, particularly for, for heavies, as um, the electrification of the vehicle fleet worldwide continues to grow at a rap, rapid pace. Right, and and what's what's the actual likely? And, and I obviously we, you know we we talked about Namibia sort of banning the export of um, unprocessed critical minerals, unprocessed um, lithium, etc. It's a very mining friendly country, and it is enabling foreign direct investment. And they, the, you know, I, I think they want to help. But what's the reality of? A project like yours, which is going to low grade, and we'll work out what the margins are at a later date, depending on what, what what the price is. What's the likelihood of a Jogmec, along with another industrial partner coming in, building those kind of facilities in country, or does this inevitably get head back to Japan in one shape or another? So, the, in our in our projects uh, specifically, um, we are uh, envisioning a hydrometallurgical circuit. Uh, at the end of the processing, which will which will produce a thorium and uranium free um, heavy rare earth oxide product, so it's already very well um, down the road of benefication. This ana- this would enable us to send that concentrated oxide product anywhere in the world for further additional separation into metals. Uh, but one of the things we're looking at, so so in that just at at, at the end of that stage of processing, we would. You know, exceed any requirements by the Namibian government for process. No, I, I, absolutely. But there's an opportunity, isn't there? There's an opportunity here for the Namibian government, perhaps. So, and, so one of the other just... things we've looked at, Matt, is we've 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 been talking and with a couple of other um, early stage rare earth projects in Namibia, and we formed what's called the Rare Earth Alliance Namibia, uh, and we are looking at the feasibility of building a. Uh, a rare earth separation plant in Namibia uh, to be able to produce to uh, produce all three uh, products from all three of these potential mines in Namibia uh, into uh, separated metals. 
I think we think Namibia would be a fantastic jurisdiction for such a processing plant. Um, is that it's mining friendly. Uh, they they are very experienced in working with radioactive material as being one of the largest uranium exporters in the world. Uh, it has an abundance of solar energy, which can provide cheaper power. Um, so we think it's a fantastic jurisdiction. So we're looking, you know, we just recently formed that earlier this year, and we're looking at the feasibility of, of building such a, a, a processing plan. Oh, interesting, interesting. Okay. And um, so and those, those, are they both sort of North American companies? Uh, one is another public entity called ETEC Resources. Uh, which has an early okay. stage light rare earth project in Namibia, and the other one uh-huh. is a private Namibian company uh, that has an Andotu project, um, Andotu Mining. Right. Now, how are you finding things in the country? Because I, I, there is such an like a real kind of um, massive f- um, f- flow of companies wanting to set up in Namibia. Is it kind of slowing things down when it comes to conversations with the ministry, etc.? That's what seems to be what we're hearing. No. We haven't really experienced any of that, particularly in terms of being able to get access to to speak with people. Um, but we are definitely seeing more competition for for talent in and drill rigs in the country. Um, you know, particularly on the gold sector, there's been a seems to be a real um, influx of of uh, interest, uh, particularly from Australian companies coming in looking at uh, this emerging gold district in Namibia uh, and capitalizing yeah. on some of the successes of B two Gold and Ocino resources. Okay. Well, look. Um. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. And um, I think I think that's kind of given me a sort of a flavour of what you're about. I mean, I guess the question is, what do the next twelve months look like for you guys? I mean, it's, you say fully funded, and I I, I guess you are fully funded to the end of uh, phase three. Um, what should we expect to see or and hear from you over the next few months? Yeah, so we just put out a press release a few weeks ago on the drill results that we had for infill and resource drilling that was done earlier this year, which will be incorporated into a a new resource estimate uh, and into our PFS in Q3. Um, We expect to be delivering some consistent news flow on the advancements of our processing uh, that's ongoing with SGS. We are in the midst of a just beginning a, a pilot scale flotation tests and pilot scale hydrometallurgical tests, which will increase the um, confidence uh, of our processing numbers in the PFS. So that'll all be new slow will all be continuing over the next uh, you know eight to twelve months. Um, and one of the other big things that we're looking at, uh, hopefully over the next number of months, is. Um, advancements on bringing in an industrial partner to uh, to the venture. Uh, back in June, Reiner and I uh, made a trip to Japan uh, to present the project uh, to about 10 of the top companies in Japan uh, that would be interested in a potential investment in a rare project. And we were really pleasantly pleased with um, uh, the feedback that we received uh, from those presentations. And we believe that um, uh, there'll be news coming in the next com- few months, likely on that, hopefully. Okay. We'll know when you know. Okay. Um, okay. Well, Dan, I appreciate um, the kind of run through. Um, obviously, that's it's, um, much talked about, critical critical um, minerals, rare earths. Um, stay in touch over the next few weeks and months and let us know how you get on, okay? Great. Thank you. Pleasure speaking with you.